Mr. Court Psyops. How are you doing today, sir? Doing excellent. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm doing pretty well. I uh, caught that Christmas bug and uh, I'm on the mend. But thanks for joining me today. Oh, absolutely not a problem. Actually, I'm honored that uh, I was able to be on the inaugural episode. I'm pretty stoked for that. Yeah, hopefully you're not on the uh, the inaugural Lost episode, but I think I know what I'm doing here. Today, we are christening the Psychosemantic Podcast or the Psychosemanticast. Kind of see which one people hate the least. <laughs> and, uh... You're doing it wrong. <laughs> what a moron. It's seven o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is?
<laughs> okay, right. So let's see. It's been a year. Yeah, Holy actually, shit. to the day, right? <laughs> yes, sir. As of today, recording one year it to was, the day. It was a weeknight when we recorded last time. I think it might have been a Wednesday or a Tuesday night. Because yeah. I remember it being right after I did my show for the week, and I was editing until you were ready to go. Man, how far we've come. <laughs> I'll get into more statistics on the State of the Shelter address that'll be coming out. Well, it's probably going to come out after this episode, unless I go insane with the sound bites. <laughs> Or get a massive influx of uh, voicemails and and stuff like that. Since I'm not technologically savvy enough right now, anyway, I am not going to be playing the sound bites that I have. But I do have one email that I oh, can, wow. that I can read at some point. It was uh, Joe Joe Petruziello, and that's if his I haven't actually spoken with him, so I don't know if I'm doing the Italian or the Spanish pronunciation of that last name. So Petruziello or Petruziello. You have me lost. I'm, you know, I was a guy from Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere. And now I live in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the country. So (laughs) (laughs) there's always a little bit of Spanish growing up, but yeah, I only know enough Spanish to get myself beat up or shot. (laughs) Well then, uh, here, let me, let me give you one. I think you... lo, lo siento, I think, means basically, excuse me. I'm not exactly sure the exact translation. I used to or know how to it? say, please don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know. it's like, por favor, no muerto me, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no death me, or something is what I would say. <laughs> you know, body language goes a long way. But how are you doing? How was your new year? Relatively uneventful. <laughs> it's been worse in the past, but uh, we got together with friends and uh, I was kind of antisocial. I just kind of popped on headphones because they're playing a lot of 90s music that I'm not into and I couldn't deal with. It was like 90s pop. Ugh. And yeah, I kind of checked out at that moment and then they switched the music up. But at that point, I was already kind of in my own headspace and just wanted to chill. I, I'm always that guy anyway at a party where it. I want to just hang out in one spot. Like I'll just kind of be in a corner or sitting in a chair or on a couch and I just stay put. And then if people come up to me and interact with me and want to talk, then I'll, I'll chat back and I'll try and be civil. But like, I'm not the social butterfly type. And I usually get dragged to these kind of functions by my wife who is very much the social butterfly. Yeah. She loves people. I have no <laughs> idea why she's with me. Oh, cause you're her favorite person. That's why I would hope it's something like that. Yeah. see i i married an introvert but she still sometimes likes to go out and about and hang out with people she just checks and checks with me sometimes to see if she humaned properly (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'm one of those uh extroverted introverts where i in the right circumstance like you can't get me to shut up and i'll go crazy but mostly i just want to be on my own and i i just don't want to be around people I'm kind of misanthropic in that way, too. And I mean, if if it weren't for my wife, I probably would have never gotten away from that and been out of my comfort zone. That's one of the things that work out great for us because she'll be like, we should do this. And I'm like, I don't really want to. And she's like, oh, you'll love it. And then I always have to begrudgingly go, you were right. I loved it. I guess I had fun. (laughs) You were right. I liked Disneyland. I'll shut up now. Can you imagine if we did a group couples therapy? 
<laughs> I was actually going to bring that up to you to see if we could we could do that and, and have that work out. We probably could. I, I might need a little bit of uh, help on your end setting up because I've the only times that I've ever recorded with Amanda or Vice, as most people know her, was there was a mic between us. Was, I, you might have had a heart attack seeing my setup. There was like a stool <laughs> with the microphone clamped on it. And <laughs> I, I put it closer to her because I wanted it was more about her on the show than it was about me. So, yeah, you, you might have fainted. Yeah, but you've got one of those uh, the Yetis, right? Like it mm -hmm. has that switchable thing where you can have a stereo side where it'll pick up two sides and then you can just mix that down to mono. You can still do some pretty amazing things with that mic. Just because I like old analog gear doesn't mean that I'm like a complete, you know, ear Nazi <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. Like, I don't think you have to have the shit that I have. As a matter of fact, I know that what I'm doing is overkill and ridiculous. I just like all the flashy lights. Right. And it's Matt. Matt's the one that's sympathizer. <laughs> he just thinks they're pretty good people. <laughs> I want to stress that that's not the case at all. I took that way out of context. And every uh, time I play that, he dies a little inside. Well, here's here's the place to get real. We, we all know that there's a little bit of Matt's not really a plank of wood. He is not a yellow plank of wood. Well, that's probably the only part of him that is character. Everything else is just he's just he really is the big force of nature bit of that 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 personality in real life. That's really him. That's who he is. Um, <laughs> if anything, he might be a little toned down for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so he is. That was my other running theory was that he is somehow an id that you uh, somehow unlocked in the world. No, he, he just. Um, Am I getting so too deep too early? I've had no, a lot no. of coffee. <laughs> He's just so free. He is so super free. And he doesn't worry about what he's saying or what he's doing in the context of like, I, he doesn't will, like will, willingly want to hurt somebody else or upset them or anything like that. It's just that he is so free with who he is and he's so comfortable in his own skin. And he's just so glad to be alive. Like he lives every day exactly how he wants to live and he doesn't worry about it like he doesn't care if you're going to judge him for loving the things that he loves and as a matter of fact he will defend everything to his last right and like he just i don't know man like he really knows what he wants in life and what he wants to do and he's unapologetic about it and like his personality clashes for some people and you know sometimes he's it's like he's just he's just like up to 11 all the time and some people can't can't handle that but like if you get those moments where the power dies down just a little bit and you can just like hold a normal straight up conversation which happens you know we start the show and he's always like really like you know amped up and ready to go and then midway through as the energy starts to die down and he gets tired that's the kind of mat that i'm always used to being around because we used to work together and like the, the conversations we have on our show are literally just recordings of how him and i would talk to each other about stuff anyway our, uh, when we used to work together, we used to work at a call center. It was a bullshit job. It was literally trying to talk people into keeping features and things that they didn't want to keep on their phone back when there were like, you know, <laughs> these uh, the landline phones. And it was like, you know, call waiting, call forwarding, uh, all that kind line of crap. or some sort, whatever it was. It was just stupid shit that people did not need. And him and I both knew our job was bullshit and we didn't take it seriously. And yet we mistaking like somehow we were so good at it 
And at some point, he just ended up completely giving up on that job. And so I, I would just go outside and hang out with him. And he would like when he would have smoke breaks, because he used to be like a I don't know how many pack a day smoker, but he smoked like a chimney. And I would stand outside and the, the bits that him and I do, the back and forth, the getting on each other's cases is just what we did. We would do that in the back while he was smoking and I would just be bullshitting with him. And we kind of gathered a group of people around us and entertained them that way. Like that was when it was time for Matt to go smoke, a bunch of people would go out because they knew that they could get a little bit of entertainment. And then we got lunch together all the time. Like we always had the same lunch break. So on our lunch break, we would have these quiddled debates about then it was Dead Zone and Monk and stuff that was on USA television or maybe even Psych, you know, like stupid things, you know, like we would argue over the smallest little minutia that didn't matter. And then we would move on to movies and stuff like that, or sometimes wrestling, because that was when I was still kind of into it, being left over from the raw era that was big with like Stone Cold Steve Austin and stuff. I used to watch that with my dad. And so we would have arguments about that stuff. And I guarantee you, Matt probably knows more about wrestling than anybody you'll ever meet. There's very few people that I've ever met that know more than him. Uh, he needs to go against OTC Bill in some sort of fashion. Well, he already took on Chris for the the Star Wars trivia challenge. Yeah. And he, he lost. I think he lost by like one question. He came closer than just about anybody ever has, I think. Well, yeah. Even Bill and Chris were both like, holy shit, he knows his stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was amazed too. I was like, crap. I was expecting, you know, I was trying to set him up to get embarrassed and like, oh, so you think you know Star Wars? Well, Chris is going to demolish you. And there was stuff that Matt knew that, that Chris didn't get off the top of his head for some of those questions. And, there was stuff in there that I was like, I had no clue about any of it because I'm not really a fan of Star Wars. I, I play it up that I dislike it more than I do. I just am not as attached to it as other people are, you know, so like I don't get the fervor and the love and the fury and the anger when things don't go exactly how you expect them to be for this kind of stuff. I just don't get it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so I'm just kind of like sitting on the outside and I'm, I'll troll people a little bit about it and poke the bear. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah yeah uh well like you were describing the uh the genesis i hate to use that word to an atheist the, <laughs> the beginning the seedling of your show it was sort of vaudevillian comedy routines and wordplay and uh that's very much like the marx brothers look at that that's a segue although we have nowhere near the skill of the marx brothers but i would submit that no one does no Right. Well, I guess before we go any further, we will come back to all of our other tangents. But in <laughs> in this and do you think we should cut out all the uh, all the nice things that we were saying about Matt or does he not listen to this anyway? Uh, if he's not on the show, he won't listen to it, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's fine. But other <laughs> other other people can finally know, you know, like that that might be my Frank Cross moment. We'll see if it gets any worse than that. But, you know. The, yeah. the cruel court that exists on my show on Cinema PsyOps isn't really me. It's me amping up the darker parts of my personality to counteract with all the shiny, happy-go-lucky stuff that Matt tries to be sometimes. So. <laughs> You've got a yin his yang. Uh, phrasing? <laughs> Is that a sexual reference? Because I think we may have done that once. <laughs> all sorts of shenanigans in PsyOp Labs. It's but... not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just two guys helping each other out, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's why shenanigans. Shenanigans sounds fun, right? Like happy, happy fun. I don't, I don't. I've never heard of something diabolical or sad being called shenanigans. For the restaurant in uh, 
office space. <laughs> <laughs> right. You need oh, more and pieces then of super flair. troopers. Oh yeah, I guess that that is kind of a running thing. Shenanigans is in a couple of comedies. Yeah, his shenanigans are sad and or cruel and tragic, which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, we may, I, I imagine we're going to talk about the movie and everything, but you have sat through some heavy, dark things, and so have we all in this last year. Uh, so we're at least trying to look at the brighter side of fascism with <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Marx Brothers 1933 film Duck Soup. And we may even get into, I can't remember when it's from, but the Three Stooges, Unazdi, Spy, and the people of Moronica. Uh, I think it was around 1940 when they did that one. Okay. Here's to the first year of whatever you want to call this, surviving, getting by, rage, sadness, the people of the world to the people of America who think they're not part of the world sometimes. <clears throat> The people of Fredonia and the people of Moronica. <laughs> uh, like I said, we're probably going to get into a bit more of the statistics and whatnot and intricacies in the state of the state of the shelter, which has been requested. I do before the state of the union address. Makes sense. If I play the uh, state of the union address drinking game, I will probably not be able to do anything for a few days afterwards. <laughs> so it's best I, I just hope you would be able to survive it because um, some of the some of the phrases that we're looking for that will probably end up killing people <laughs> yeah like fake news and stuff like that i'm, I'm sure is gonna pop up yeah it's gonna be bad do you think he'll call himself a genius <laughs> i'm sure he will say about how smart he is i'm sure he will mention his fucking poll numbers or his election numbers again about how he won the electoral college and how that's the long game that you play and that you know hillary went for the popular vote crooked hillary Crooked Hillary. He'll mention something about how Obama did some horrible things. You know, he's going to play his greatest hits because he's going to think that this the State of the Union address is going to be for him just like another put him in front of a crowd and he's doing one of his rallies, which is not too far off from the subject matter for Duck Stoop and you Nazi spy. Or yeah. Nazi spy. However you say that word. Damn it. It's Nazi. We'll just we'll just say Nazi. Nazi. <laughs> Nazi. You nasty spy. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's stink eye is going to be epic. <laughs> the Supreme Court sits up front. It'll look similar to Doug Jones's kid when he was getting sworn in staring at Mike Pence with that death stare. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if looks could kill, Pence would have been so dead at that moment. That kid was staring a hole through him. <sighs> a man can dream, though. A man can dream. That was so beautiful. Um, yeah, he I was I mean, obviously, I wasn't expecting a big liberal Democrat to win in Alabama, but I got a little nervous when I was seeing reports that Doug Jones, aside from all his shenanigans he got into in the Twin Peaks universe, uh, <laughs> was appointing an all white staff. But then I was reading something yesterday that his chief of staff is a black man. I don't know what's going on in Alabama. Do you know what's going on in Alabama? No, I'm not an expert in Alabama. I, I do know that I, as a human being, need to grow a little bit and stop discounting people in our southern states just because they happen to be 
in our southern states. I think they get grouped in a lot and very unfairly. I think it's I think it's time for us to stop doing that. Just you know, all agree that hey, it's time to grow up a little bit on that. There's idiots everywhere. My state went for Trump. The well, three yeah. the three biggest cities. Uh, you know, I live in Columbus, the capital, and then Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati all went for Clinton. But then everywhere else, generally, went to Trump. So yeah, I. I just don't know what's going on in Alabama. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of the problem that a lot of the Democratic side or the more liberal side or the left or however you want to kind of put your politics is basically been ignoring those states because they feel like they're not going to do any good there anyway. Like it's not going to happen. And I just feel like if they actually were to try and talk to the people like on a basic level and interact with them and treat them like decent human beings, maybe they could get better results out of them. I mean, obviously it's a little scary that it took a fucking pedophile yeah. <laughs> to, to bring people around to voting in one representative that happens to be a Democrat, but very, I, very narrowly, very, very narrowly. But I think, I, I think Bernie kind of proved it. He got people, he, he lit a fire under people's asses. Because he did the campaign trail like you're kind of supposed to. You're supposed to go to these different places and talk to individual people and work the smaller towns. Because usually you're going to be fine at a bigger town and people are going to know what they want. You need to go to the places where maybe the news coverage isn't as good. Maybe the TV reception doesn't work so well. And maybe the people are working too goddamn hard to try and keep a roof over their head to be bothered with politics because the politics fucking them over. If, if you go to them and you point out, hey... This is what these people are voting for. This is what they're really doing. And they're selling you, you know, they're, they're, they're shortchanging you with cash. They're shortchanging you on taxes. They're taking away various rights that you have. They're taking away protections and regulations to keep you safe. All the while making you believe that it's for your own good. And then they're trying to sell you this bill of goods because you're anti-abortion. And so you vote for them and get screwed on everything else. Why don't we let this abortion thing go for just a moment here and talk about what's happening to you for real, you know? Yeah, yeah. The the single the single issue voter, I think, doesn't work anymore because the well, as polarized as we've gotten, I feel like the because the ideals of the party aren't necessarily the ideals of the candidate anyway. But, I mean, they switch and bat go all over the place because, I mean, like the 1950-something Republican platform was increase the minimum wage, strengthen unions, you know, paid time off, <laughs> just like stuff that you wouldn't expect from the party. And the same, same with the Democratic Party. So, I mean, there are anti-choice Democrats. Let's not pretend that there are, aren't. And... I mean, I, I hate that you have to call yourself a Republican or a Democrat to really get a job in any part of government, really. I think that's ultimately the big failing is the, the two-party system, and both are kind of... I almost feel like the two-party system is put into place as just a regular system of control to trick people into thinking that they're getting represented the way that they want to be represented. You end up having this trade-off where you have people talk about, well... This is the platform. This is what we kind of stand for. But in the actual execution of their votes, you kind of have to pay attention to every single vote that your particular representative is doing 
And people don't do that. They just trust that if you select A or B and A happens to be the party that does most of what you want it to do, that A is going to take care of you for everything else. But they don't. Red team, blue team. (laughs) Right. It's it's a ridiculous thing to think that people are so binary. And that's what we end up doing is is packaging everything up into these little boxes of this is what you are. This is what you aren't. And we try to categorize each other because it's the easier way to work with stereotypes and all of that other kind of shit because you know what you can expect and you think you got everything and you got a handle on it when everything's pretty much out of control. (laughs) And that's pretty much what both Duck Stoop and You Nazi Spies or Spy actually shows really, really well, particularly Duck Stoop. The money is the thing that makes Rufus T. Firefly get put into power. We're not just doing this for money. We're doing it for a shitload of money. That's no mistake. And while that may have been made in 1933, that still works today. And I'm sure it worked that way a century before movies were even made. That the money is really where the power comes from. And who who creates the mass amount of quantity is really the person that gets to make the choices and everything. Yeah. (laughs) What was the reason that she even wanted Rufus T. Firefly in power other than she kind of had a crush on him? (laughs) That was, I think, pretty much it. I believe he flattered her. I know we we were talking a little bit about the 1980s brain donors being part, part this and part another Marx Brothers movie. But, Night at the Opera, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was Night at the Opera. I, I think it would have to be, since in um, Brain Donors, it's a ballet company. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the... I think even some of the names were close. I, I remember it was Colari or Signari or something like that in Night at the Opera, and it was the great Volari in Brain Donors. Where the hell was I? Oh, the, the John Turturro character that's the ripoff of Groucho Marx. You just was always, I think he even said, can't you see that I love you? Which Rufus T. Firefly says in Duck Soup. I think my favorite line from Rufus T. Firefly at the very beginning is when he says, will you marry me? Are you rich? Answer the second question first. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Groucho. I try to keep it straight because a lot of my memories are just things he said, you know, to rich women in movies. (laughs) You know, that, that seems to be a running, running theme with them. Because I think the movie of theirs that I've seen the most is probably A Night in Casablanca. And there was a couple rich old uh, women in that and when he was running the hotel instead of the country of Fredonia. <laughs> yeah, some of their plot lines are relatively similar, but the madcap craziness that they hang on top of it was, I mean, it's still ahead of its time. Like watching the stuff that's happening in these movies and thinking that this took place in 1933, how insane did these guys seem to people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're just so madcap and so over the top and the humor is ridiculous. It's ludicrous humor. It's uh, absurdist. And that's the word I was looking for. It's absurdist and just really surreal jokes at certain moments where it doesn't even feel like this has any grounding in any kind of reality. <laughs> it's just yeah. this crazy anarchy that's caught on screen. And it just it's so far ahead of its time and nobody came anywhere near this. And all the things that I love about the Looney Tunes from back in the day and Bugs Bunny and everything like that, they so very clearly have aped and stolen from the Marx Brothers. You know, that's, and it's not just them, it's everybody. You can say that brain donors ripped off the Marx Brothers and stole various things, but 
to me, it always felt more like a loving tribute where they were trying to recreate the thing that they love the most. And you can argue whether or not that hit the mark. Uh, I, mean, no, I enjoyed I, the movie. I know for me, I liked it a hell of a lot more before, because I had seen it before I'd ever actually really watched a whole lot of Marx Brothers stuff. I was aware of the Marx Brothers because they would always pop up in cartoons and things like that as a kid. And you know them because of pop culture. But until you actually see the movies, you just don't realize how amazing they are and how talented they all are. The the musical ability, the the song and dance numbers that they were able to do, the comedic routines, the way they fed off of each other. And I don't know if you get this sense or not, but I feel like most of what the Marx Brothers are doing in Duck Snoop is improvised. And everybody else is trying to deliver their lines and trying <laughs> to keep things together. And Groucho and Chico, Harpo and even Zeppo are doing their best to screw everybody up and just ruin everything by just doing their bits and goofing off. And everybody else is trying to keep the movie together around them as it falls apart. And I think that <laughs> that ensuing chaos is what makes this film so wonderful. Yeah. And uh, when they were making Duck Soup, uh, there there was a lot of improv improvisation. But also, I think some of the improvisation was going on um, behind the scenes because one of the things that was said, I can't remember if Groucho said it in one of his later biography interviews, but it was like they didn't write all their stuff, but they never did anything that they weren't 100% cool with. And while they were making Duck Soup and a lot of their other movies, they tried and molded their routines doing the like vaudeville shit in towns like going on tour and workshopping, uh, workshopping the shit. It's clear that their routines that they've been doing this for a while, but I think you get to a certain point as a performer where it, it becomes like jazz whenever you do that kind of stuff, where you kind of know the next progression of the routine that you're going for, and then you just do a different variation of it, and you have a different way that you go about doing it. And it's those little nuances that kind of make them work. And you can only develop that by doing it over and over again and then working your way around it. I mean, true improvisation and improv comedy is usually not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's something that the people have rehearsed together for so long that they know each other so well and they can kind of know what's going to happen so they can all dive on the joke all together. That's one of the things that I think make the Marx Brothers so great. I mean, they were raised together. They've been doing this. They've been vaudevillians their entire lives they've all had to learn musical instruments and do this stuff because if they didn't perform enough and they didn't get enough money together they probably were going to starve as kids yeah their dad was a really poor gambler yeah. but i think harpo came up with some of his really weird faces when they were kids they're mocking and mimicking people in the neighborhood <laughs> yeah I, I think harpo's probably the most underappreciated out of all of them the things that he's able to do Especially in Duck Stoop, where he's just running around cutting things off of people, cutting the, <laughs> cutting the tails off of somebody's jacket, cutting the, the tail off of uh, Firefly's hat at some point yeah. uh, when he's wearing the, the raccoon skin hat and stuff. And the timing that he does it with where, you know, and he'll even break the fourth wall and hold it at the camera and laugh and say, see what I did? Nobody noticed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the thing with the, the peanut vendor and the lemonade salesman. Yeah, that little war that they have going with him where he keeps burning his hats and stuff. That's just <laughs> hilarious. That whole routine where he cuts out the pockets and uh, the bit where they have someone hold up their leg or at one point the guy's holding his hat down, you know, to try and keep it away from 
<laughs> from Harpo being able to grab it. So Harpo just puts his foot in the hat and has the guy hold his foot up like that. <laughs> he's always kind of been, he's always been my favorite to watch. I have obviously, I've haven't read as much uh, of Harpo's outside off the off screen life. I obviously know a lot more about Groucho's off screen life. I think he was an equal opportunity offender. Now it, it's hard to tell if some of the stuff was intentional or unintentional misogyny. The, the you pic- could probably chalk it up to the day and attitudes towards women of the day more than anything. Not that I want to try and play that down. It doesn't make it good or bad. It just might be that was a societal norm and he was playing into it. So, yeah, but in general, I mean, he he definitely he liked to punch up. I think that that definitely they punched up a lot. Uh, and they didn't seem to pick on the downtrodden characters in films so much. They were generally just going after government and high society and uh showing the ridiculousness in all of it it was it you or was it me that suggested duck soup i can't even remember because we were talking about a different movie altogether up until about a week ago yeah we both decided it would be good for your anniversary show to do something that's a little more upbeat and happy and still has a political slant to it and i think we were i can't remember the other movie that we were talking about but then we wanted to try and find something that fit for uh idiot leader (laughs) (laughs) yeah who had no idea what he was doing and kept making terrible mistakes and kept basically being a pompous blowhard that got himself into a war and dragged everybody else along with him and would never admit to his mistakes and that's when we came up with duck soup because we had another one that we were talking about that was similar to that yeah and that was one of the ones that was on my list from forever ago you know what it was i remember what it was we're gonna do the replace a president who is failing and illing and and not doing a very good job and that was dave we were talking about doing dave but he made everything and, better so yeah yeah so we <laughs> didn't want to do it that way because that was kind of like uh that was in the time when you know making fun of your government meant that someone could do a better job that was just your average man off the street that was a businessman and we didn't want to send that message out <laughs> <laughs> a businessman that was obsessed with jobs <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And Dave's a Dave's a very lighthearted and warm and fun movie, and I think we would have missed the mark if we picked that one. A uh, duck soup fits so much more because you you do see Rufus <laughs> T. Firefly's actions, where he's constantly going after the guy from Slovenia, uh, that ambassador, the guy that's kind of in charge. Was it Trentino or what? What was his name? Which one was that one? I've got a little list of the the characters' name. Well, I wrote some of the characters' name. I did not write down Rufus T. Firefly because who forgets that name? Trentino, played it by Trentino. Louis Calhern, or Louis, okay. I don't know. If he's American, it's Louis. If he's French, it's Louis. <laughs> what if he's French-Canadian? It'll be Louis. <laughs> but you got to drop the L. Louis. <laughs> but anyway, the the interaction that he has with that guy, uh, Trentino from Sylvania, every time he comes across him, and there's even a point where he and the secretary are trying to figure out how to go and create a conflict between the two of them. I can't even remember what the reason why was other than they just decided they were going to do it. And he's like, well, how do I get him to hit me? They (laughs) wanted him to be asked to leave the country. Yeah. They just wanted to get rid of him because I think they were trying to get Rufus was trying to get Miss Teasdale and Mrs. Teasdale was being wooed by Trentino because he wanted her money as well. Yeah. That, that pretty much sums up government right there. (laughs) Wooing the wealth in any way, shape, or form. That's that's how government works. It's not redistributing it. It's 
bringing it in for yourself and hoarding it all. That's why I think it's going to get interesting with the uh, Jeff Sessions and the marijuana. The devil, Ooh, yeah. the devil's lettuce. Well, it's going to lead to jazz and hanging out with people of uh, <laughs> of color. That's what he's afraid of. <laughs> Who hurt you, Jeff? Well, that was the whole anti-marijuana thing that started and made it illegal in the United States in the first place was based on racism. There was a whole entire campaign where they believed that left-handed cigarettes or jazz cigarettes or whatever they referred to them as was going to be used by black men to lure white women away from their families and <laughs> and, and all and, of that. And it gave Mexican migrant workers super strength to work all day long and then still go out and murder and rape everyone. Was that another one? I, re I remember seeing various like uh, anti-marijuana propaganda that was about the racism for the, you know, white women running away with black men. But I, I don't remember seeing the migrant worker one. When did that come about? That was around the same time in the 30s or 40s when they were uh, heading towards the uh, the marijuana tax stamp act. I hadn't heard of it either. And then I watched a documentary on the war on drugs, more specifically the war on marijuana uh, made and narrated by Woody Harrelson back when he still smoked pot. <laughs> I'm basing all of the stuff that I know from watching the anti-marijuana movies from the 30s and 40s. And the one that I'm talking about in particular is like The Devil's Harvest, which is probably a really hard movie to watch. I think that might be in the public domain. You should probably do a commentary on that sometime. You can post it up and <laughs> put it on YouTube and stuff with you talking about it and making oh, fun of it. Nice. I think Reefer Madness is in the public domain also. That one is as well. A lot of shows have done video commentaries of that where they posted it afterwards too and so you could probably get all your buddies together yeah <laughs> and make fun of it <laughs> we'll do it for jeff sessions birthday or something <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was a pretty cool documentary i think it's just called grass the story of weed um but there were some things about you know a lot of the push despite what they were afraid of a lot of the push was from the paper barons because hemp was getting ready to cut into their money yeah there's a lot of stuff that hemp is able to do which is a uh, lot stronger and and better than what you would make out of wood yeah and you can't get high <laughs> off hemp anyway Jeff no. Sessions. <laughs> that's it's starting to come back around where some things can be made out of hemp and it's starting to loosen up around on that side as well because there's no argument on why hemp itself should be outlawed other than by the lumber mills and, and places like that that don't want it possible uh, I remember bamboo. yeah i remember seeing something about how you could make bricks out of the fibers of hemp and some other things mixed together that are stronger than any other type of cement based bricks or anything like that but they won't talk about it because you know not big money for the cement companies and other things that are already out there <laughs> when all the gangsters kids get into Getting into, see, that's another thing I, I would have thought, well, then you get black market versus regular market, but I don't know. It's America is stupid. I think we'll probably say that a, a lot of times, at least America <laughs> isn't stupid. America does a lot of stupid things. Well, I don't think the people of Fredonia were all that stupid. I think they just needed a change. And I think that the person that put someone in power made the wrong choice. I, I think whenever the rich make a choice. They make it based on nothing that would benefit anybody but themselves. And I think that's why the movie works well as an allegory for 1930s America or 1980s America or <laughs> even today and 
2018's America. We yeah. just seem to we just seem to be doing the same thing over and over again. We're cyclical people, the way that we exist, not just this country, but human beings in general. We're we're not aware of these cycles that we put ourselves in, but we keep coming back around to the same thing. I mean, the whole line about those who don't pay attention to history or learn from history or doomed to repeat it is absolutely true because we are cyclical beings. We keep coming back to the same patterns, expecting something different to come out of our constant routines and it never does. And then we wonder why. I mean, shit, 50, is it 51% of us senators are millionaires? Something like that. I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head. You don't get into power without doing some pretty awful shit to get there. Regardless of what your platform may be when you're up there, you did something nasty to get into power. (laughs) And that's kind of a, that's a cynical view that Matt holds that I definitely have never disagreed with. You always suspect someone who wants to have that kind of control and wants to be in charge of that sort of stuff. Personally, I always want the reluctant leader. I want the one that's like, oh, I don't know if I'm the man for the job. Because if you say that, then you definitely probably are. Yeah, what did Douglas Adams say? Something about anyone capable of getting themselves elected president should be automatically disqualified from the job. (laughs) That sounds about right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The president doesn't exist to use power exist to distract you from it essentially yeah (laughs) the one we have now is really doing a really fine job of trying to distract people from everything else by making it all about him that's why the rest of the republican party is protecting him they know he's going down and they know it's only a matter of time they're just trying to delay it at this point i don't even think firing mueller is going to stop it i think all the evidence is there everything they need is there and it's just a matter of time and i think everybody else is slow walking it and trying to delay it just so they can keep the power just a little bit longer and try and stop the rising tide of what's going to happen, hopefully in 2018, <laughs> with the elections. I feel like some people have woken up at least and realized that they've been had. <laughs> I hope so, because I'm, I don't know. I think it's great that anybody, even people that voted for him, it, better late than never to realize that you are being conned. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. It's the people that still support him to this point that really scare me. I mean... The main complaint I've heard from some of the few Trump supporters that are still around me in any way, shape, or form, they're like, oh, I just wish he would stop tweeting. If he would just stop tweeting, then, you know, he would be more presidential and, get, you know, do what he needed to do. And I'm like, he's tweeting exactly what he's thinking and feeling and doing. He's not doing anything when he's not tweeting. He's just sitting there. This is his retirement. He's using <laughs> tax dollars to play golf and sit around and do nothing. He lets the other people in his White House make all the decisions. It's clear because the policy is all over the place with this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Somebody else is pulling the strings for him. Isn't that what they accused Reagan of, too, especially at the end when he started getting senile? Other Mm -hmm. people made all the decisions and he just was on camera just enough to talk about his policies, but not reveal that he was losing his mind. This wasn't our first (laughs) senile president. You know, we've had one before that was completely and mentally gone and other people were pulling the strings for him. Yeah, and he even drew that uh, comparison closer to himself in his 
morning tirade saying that they tried it. They tried it with Reagan, too. <laughs> That's because it was real with Reagan, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> it actually was true. He was losing his mind, but it was at the tail end of his presidency. It wasn't like his first term. I'm pretty sure he was all there. I think it was in his second term that the was it Alzheimer's he was suffering from? I can't remember. I, I think it was Alzheimer's. It was definitely some some form of dementia. I don't know yeah. if there's more forms because I I don't I don't <laughs> pretend to know a lot about brains. I'm, I'm not a doctor. Damn it! I've got a mohawk. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm a podcaster. Damn it, Jim! I have a very good brain, and I've said a lot of things. We're talking like when he started talking about how much he loved jelly beans and things like that. That's when Reagan was clearly starting to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, who the hell says I'm not crazy. I'm a genius. Crazy people. I, I don't know. Is he turning into Kanye West? Is, is, <laughs> I thought well, they had a falling out, so I don't think he's writing any speeches for him. Look at it this way, right? All the time in every horror movie where a mad scientist is doing something that is completely out of the whack, insane, and should not be doing it, like, I'm going to resurrect the dead to take over the world. I know this is a really bad decision kind of thing. He always has this tirade about how he says, they or she, or whoever, but it's, they called me mad. They said I was insane, but I'll show them all. <laughs> I'm a genius. And that's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what Trump's doing with his tweets right now. I'll get you my pretties. <laughs> and I'll build just... a wall, too. <laughs> I know. Ridiculous, right? Uh, $18 billion he wants for that. You thing. know, he could he could easily get that money if he stopped doing golfing trips and put the money that he would have had for his golfing trips towards the wall. But, you know, <laughs> that doesn't benefit him. There's no time for vacation. We're not going to be big. We're not going to be big on vacation. You know, there's so many things. It's sort of interesting, Chris. The White House is like this incredible place, right? It represents so much. And you're there for a limited period of time. If you're at the White House and you have so much work to do, why do you fly so... Why do you leave so much? Why... You know, you think you'd want to work, 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 straighten it out, get it done, fix it up, make it great, and then when you finish, you can be proud. But, boy, are we a mess. No, and neither does the wall. The wall is just like him thinking he's fulfilling a campaign promise because, well, and there's that whole racism thing that I think is motivating it. I honestly think he is convinced that people can't get around or fly over or swim around or climb over or dig under a wall. I don't think he understands that a wall is not going to like I honestly think he thinks walls keep things out, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't know the existence of grappling hooks. He doesn't understand the ability for step ladders. <laughs> <laughs> Walls have always worked for me. They're great. I was watching the Simpsons movie and under the dome. I've got some ideas, big ideas. <laughs> yeah. We're going to cap off the dome on top of West Virginia, keep the coal fires in there or whatever, because he's been screwing over West Virginia since he started. How many people have died because of the regulations he rolled back because he was trying to protect coal? He's not protecting coal. He's protecting the people that run it. I think more more deaths uh, this year than the last 10 years or something like that. But definitely more. The deaths, coal miner deaths are up. That came out when he took credit for keeping the planes in the sky. <laughs> well, 
wow, I'm glad he was able to do that. I don't know how he figured out how to keep planes flying. Yeah. I mean, if he kept the planes in the sky, then I guess he's responsible for all the gun deaths. We can go, we can go down this path if we want, if you want, Donnie. <laughs> Forget it, Donnie. You're out of your element. I think that's what Ron Perlman calls him. He calls him little Donnie. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be if Ron Perlman actually ran for office? <laughs> <laughs> God, I mean, in 2020, it's going to be Ron Perlman, The Rock, Donald Trump. Uh, God, I hope not Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> Bernie, if he's still around, maybe. Uh, <laughs> who, I mean, I don't I don't know if Elizabeth Warren ever plans on running for president. Why didn't Hillary just take Bernie as her vice president? I think that would have brought in all the Bernie or Buzz people right there. I think it would have. <laughs> I totally think it would have. But I don't know. I think we should get back to Duck Stoop. <laughs> We're way off topic with our tangents again. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> that is true. That is true. So let's see. We're at the war, definitely. We've already talked about that. Did we mention the trial? That <laughs> oh, Ciccolini's trial? Ciccolini's trial? <laughs> I'll take that a lemonade. Some of the, yeah, that's some of the best fucking wordplay I've ever seen. Uh, I love that to this day. That's the thing that I love the most about the Marx Brothers is their ability to do wordplay is just off the chain. What has a trunk with no keys? It's irrelevant. You're right. It isn't irrelevant. They got them all over the zoo. <laughs> there was something about how uh, him being abject or something like that. And he says, I object, I object to that. Yeah. And then he calls him a pitiful object and he goes, go ahead, try and work your way out of that one or something. This was the first time that I really noticed how much they looked alike. Uh, especially oh, yeah. in the um, the Harpo Groucho mirror scene. Harpo Groucho and uh, even Chico dressed up, and Chico dresses up like him first to go yeah. get to go is, get the plans. Is that before? That's before the trial, right? Yeah, because that's how Chico gets caught. So, and that's that's the other thing too that I thought that was really funny when he talks about, in the trial. That's another line too, <laughs> where he goes, "So you admit to stealing to something about uh, coercing and." stealing the plans and he says i admit to like, i admit to stealing the coat and two plants or something like that or selling oh, yeah. the coat <laughs> a pair of plants yeah a pair of plants yeah so he's basically saying a coat and a pair of pants you know and i love how every time he does the joke he's how about that one boss <laughs> like he's okaying it with groucho <laughs> apparently from what i've heard that's something that they've done before where if one of them wasn't feeling well and they needed the groucho character then chico would put on the the mustache and the eyebrows with the grease paint or even Zeppo has done it before. And even Harpo apparently had done it too, where because they all look so similar with the right amount of makeup, you can't really tell them apart. They look that close together. The genetic line is pretty strong in that family. Yeah, I think they all went bald in similar ways too. That uh, I'm not sure of. I, I, I never really pay attention to their the later on in, in life for them, except for Groucho because of, you know, this was your life and some other things like that that he did. I've just uh, a while back. I read a book on Groucho. That's that's where I got some of my info that uh, Chico and Harpo uh, wore wigs. I forget at what point they started wearing wigs, but the like the curly blonde hair was often a wig, like on Harpo. Yeah, I I wouldn't put it past it being a wig the entire time. It just does not seem like a natural hairstyle, considering how all the other brothers have very dark dark hair and very straight hair. It just doesn't seem <laughs> that, that Harpo would also have like curly blonde hair could happen, but it seems highly unlikely. So 
I'm guessing it's probably a wig the whole time. And I, f- I figured, and I didn't see anything that said he did, but I always figured that he had gone to clown school or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, the wig makes sense. It's part of his clown face or whatever because he doesn't wear makeup. I honestly don't. I think these guys are self-taught for just about everything. I know that Harpo taught himself the harp because he has a very unique playing style that's different than what anybody else actually does. And is Pico's the one who plays the piano, right? So he's mm-hmm. amazing, and he's amazing at that. But again, a very unorthodox, very not normal style of playing that you would see from a formally trained player. And obviously the way that Groucho plays the guitar when you see him play in various movies completely different than what a normal classically trained guitar player would do. And it's just because they would teach themselves. I mean, the skill that these men have is just incredible. I can't stress that enough, how incredible they are as just talented individuals. This was one of the few movies or only movie I can really think of off the top of my head where I don't think Harpo played the harp. He kind of played the piano like a harp at one point. Yeah, it's true. And I don't remember any really sequences of the guys playing instruments in this one as much. I always end up getting all of the various routines mixed up between the movies because when I get a hankering to watch them, I tend to watch them all kind of really close together. You yeah. know, <laughs> I'll probably watch the night in Casablanca some point today or tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> my my buddy Jeremy got me the box set of the Silver Screen Archives, I think it's called. It's out of print now, but it was a DVD set of them. And I think it's it's got like duck soup and horse feathers. And I think it's their years that they were with a specific studio. I think it was their Paramount Pictures years is what that that one particularly is. Most It's mostly all the ones that still feature Zeppo before he went off to become. I think he became a talent agent. I think he stopped doing the routines and stuff like that because that life was just too much for him. And he went on his own. Yeah. So, and he didn't like being considered the unfunny Marx brother. But I mean, it's just because he's. That's some stiff competition, man. Well, and he was much better at being a straight man anyway. It just the way that he did that reaction where I think if you don't have Zeppo playing off the daininess and the craziness of the other guys, you know, you don't really have the comedy when you don't have someone doing the straight face stuff. And he but, knew yeah. how to react to that. Being, <laughs> yeah. being the anchor. Right. And there's, I mean, it is being the straight man in a comedy duo is always an unsung and unappreciated job and only other straight men <laughs> in those routines appreciate what you do and how you do the faces and everything like that you know the people who love harvey corman love harvey corman because of what he was able to do to support his partner <laughs> you know <laughs> well, that's one of the things i think that makes comedy so great and i i guess this is probably going to be a shocking revelation to fans of my show and in people that are interacting with me that I'm a big fan of comedy <laughs> that I am. But, uh, and actually, you know, that was, that was something that Matt and I also bonded over was trying to do the old comedic routines from various things that we loved or various movies and stuff like that. And that's kind of how we got started doing what we do. It's one of those things that you, a, a comedic routine works best whenever someone can't keep the straight face that's supposed to be the straight man. Like some of the stuff in the Carol Burnett TV show, that's what makes it the absolute best is Harvey Corman trying his best to not lose his shit and, you know, just standing there with a straight face as much as he can and then busting up laughing or trying to cover his face and trying not to laugh. Um, and in the Monty Python sketches too, whichever one 
that's another thing. They all play the straight man when they have to, but it's usually going to have to be John Cleese because of his angry, authoritarian, fatherly like <laughs> way about him. So whenever you see the routines that he's doing and you see him start to bust up or lose his shit, it's always <laughs> the best. Like those are the things that you really pay attention for is when the guy who's supposed to be angry and is supposed to be playing the straight man loses it. That's all over Duck Soup, too. I mean, it's not just Depo, but uh, the lady who plays Mrs. Teasdale, there's a couple of times where you can see her just lose it. Like, she, she doesn't have it anymore. And she'll look away from the camera and she'll try and keep her composure. She'll try to deliver a line, but their zaniness has just got it to where she can't keep her shit together. Um, <laughs> I think I saw her almost crack up when he was talking about like I see you, I see you bending bending over the stove cooking dinner. Come to think of it, I can't see the stove. Right, that's one of the ones that she lost it at. Uh, one of the ones that I think I saw her starting to crack up on was when we're at the war stage and they're in that house. And the I think it was Chico says to him, "Careful, that's our only water." And he's splashing water on her face. And he goes, "Careful, well, something about water. This is our only woman." And he yeah. just keeps throwing the water. <laughs> And I think at one point she busts up there a little bit, too. I think even the routine where uh, uh, Chico is there doing the, the Chicolini bit where he's talking about where he's pretending to be uh, pretending to be Firefly to get the plans. And he talks about how he's going to be going to Italy and he's trying to practice his accent. How does that make any sense? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and at first she just kind of like pauses and then she goes. Oh, well, it's sounding very good. It, it's almost like she didn't know what to say. Like he just he stopped her up there and she was about to lose it, too. She probably didn't know which one she was talking to at a time. They just sent them in like a flurry, like react. It would something. be kind of cool to see that, like, you know, that that would be the thing that the director would do. I mean, we definitely see that nowadays with filmmaking. But I wonder as industrial art as it was back then and, you know, sort of a shot factory where we need to get this done. We need to get this done. Next shot, next shot, move on. I wonder how much the like Groucho and the boys were allowed to break out of that and just do crazy things. I mean, obviously they had to rehearse it where she knew that there were going to be different men coming in at different times and doing different things, but maybe they just said, try and react. Cause it feels so just feels so spontaneous, uh, you know, just so off the cuff and, and not planned. And it just feels like she's so, grasping for straws trying to find and make sense of what's going on <laughs> and if that's just her acting like she's completely lost because that's what the zaniness of what these characters in the story are doing then she's doing an amazing job but for me it always just feels like this actress is going what the hell did i get myself into the whole time they were chaotic chaotic shoots i know um a lot of a lot of directors couldn't handle them <laughs> um they didn't work with a lot of the same directors over and over again. Because, I mean, <laughs> even this one, I don't think it did really well in the box office, but it was around the Great Depression, and it was still, like, the sixth highest earning movie of the year when it came out. So they had they had the clout. Yeah, they definitely drew the people in. I think one of the things that they did that was perfect for the times that they were living in was the escapism. I, I think that's their... I know I, I keep coming back to this, but they're very, you use the word chaotic, I think that's perfect, but they're very almost anarchistic, uncontrolled, spontaneous, and uh, just surrealistic <laughs> and just completely absurd way of doing things was so far out of the left 
field of what everybody was expecting out of life. And so it was just so absurd and so bizarre and so surrealistic that I think it offered an extra level of escapism all the while kind of pointing to people in the direction of kind of showing them, Hey, your lives are like this because of decisions like this, that's being made by Teasdale and the people in government putting someone like <laughs> this idiot, <laughs> like firefly in into place. And, you know, he starts a war <laughs> and then you're the one that's going to have to go and die, but they find a way of making it funny, even like horrible things where they're like, you're shooting your own men. <laughs> and they, they find a way to make a joke out of it, you know, like things that were really happening in war and it just happens <laughs> that they make it work that way. And I think uh, you, you, you may have caught it, caught it more or already know or whatever. Um, did Groucho's war costumes change throughout that? I feel like he wore a bunch of different war costumes throughout the battle scene. I, yeah, thought I, I yeah. thought I saw like a civil war costume, a revolutionary war type costume. One um, of them was like Davy Crockett from uh, <laughs> like uh, from the Alamo kind of battle. What you would expect to see Davy Crockett dressed as Groucho's uh, yeah. definitely changed. A few of the other guys changed up a little bit, too, where it was like every every scene. He was in a completely different outfit for no other reason than just because it was a war outfit. I think he was dressed at Napole like Napoleon at one point. <laughs> I'm sure. But yeah, like uh, I found one of the things that I had written down uh, from you were talking about pointing out that this is the escapism and this is what your problem is. Because remember when the, the Secretary of Labor, this is poignant now and always has been, but you know, the Department of Labor wishes to note that the workers of Fredonia are demanding shorter hours. It's very well, we'll give them the shorter hours. We'll start by cutting their lunch hour 20 minutes. Yeah, we'll cut it down to 20 minutes. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, you go to re go to revolt, you go to rebel, and it just gets worse for you because they have control and, and you have no control over your own life. And this was pre-union, so that really kind of... Uh, the, when the union started coming into play, it was to give people rights to counteract that sort of thing. Particularly in the Great Depression, people were really taken advantage of. Desperate people are easy to take advantage of. That's where a lot of the great families, quote-unquote, that are rich now got a lot of their money. That and the bootlegging from the 20s. The Kennedys. America's royal family. Oh, yeah. They, they got their money that way. The Rockefellers. <laughs> you know, they started with the bootlegging and then they rolled that money into the building projects and other things that they did. So it's uh, like, like we were talking about before. You don't get the money and you don't get the power without doing something various first. Sad and uplifting at the same time. <laughs> I think right here at that laughter break is a good time to take a quick break, play some, uh, some, blah, blah, play some promos for some rad ass shows that I love and maybe a, a song or two. There's a lot of songs in this movie. Maybe we'll get to some of those uh, when we come back on the other side. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, this is Tim Dorn. My name is Gareth Evans. Hi, I'm Nacho Vigalondo, director of Time Crimes and Open Windows. Hey, this is Graham Skipper. Hola, soy Macarena Gomez. Hello, this is number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler. Yo, monkeys, it's me, D-D-P. And you are listening to The Little Pod of Horrors. Which, as you know, is the best damn idea since premarital sex on Halloween. Jason Voorhees! It'll make you come hard. And that's not a bad thing. That monkey is a good thing. Bam! You can find The Little Pot of Horrors on simplysyndicated.com and on iTunes. If it's not asking too much, for our information, just for illustration, of my administration. No one's allowed to smoke or tell a dirty joke and whistling is forbidden. We're not allowed to tell a dirty joke. If chewing gum is chewed, the chewer is pursued and in the who's cow hidden. If we choose to chew, we'll be pursued. If any form of pleasure is exhibited, report to me and it will be prohibited. I'll put my foot down, so shall it be. This is the land of the free. The last man nearly ruined this place. He didn't know what to do with it. If you think this country's bad off now, just wait till I get through with it. The country's taxes must be fixed, and I know what to do with it. If you think you're paying too much now, just wait till I get through with it. I will not stand for anything that's crooked or unfair. I'm strictly on the up and up, so everyone beware. If anyone's caught taking graft and I don't get my share, we stand them up against the wall and pop goes the weasel. So everyone beware, who's crooked or unfair. Don't let the If any man should come between a husband and his bride, we find out which one she prefers by letting her decide. If she prefers the other man, the husband steps outside. We stand them up against the wall and pop goes the weasel. The husband steps outside. You have an appointment at the House of Representatives. Good heavens! You can't go with your trousers up!
I can, eh? Well, they'll never catch me any other way. We are back. How was that? I think that was a wonderful promo and or song. Yes, it was definitely the best thing that I've never heard you play because you're punching it in later. I like that you trust me enough to agree with me. Sure. I mean, you're not me. You're not going to make me look like an asshole. (laughs) That's my job. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely don't like to do that. Although it's easy because you don't make yourself look like an asshole. And all I have to do is leave that alone. Nothing could be my father from the truth. <laughs> that That's one of the things that made makes me think of the Marx Brothers when you and Matt go on. <laughs> Even though we're doing a really bad Mike Myers routine, we made it our own at that point. I, I don't know if the Marx Brothers ever was really an influence on Matt or not. Um, I would assume that he's seen some of the stuff and that he knows it. It's just him and I have never talked about it. Jeremy from the Deuce podcast is the one that I always kind of did the comedy routines from from the Marx Brothers with. And he's the one that really kind of, I would say, nurtured my love of the stuff, because I think I had mentioned to him that I liked that movie Brain Donors. And he's like, oh, well, you need to see where this came from then. And I had seen some Marx Brothers stuff, but not to that extent until he brought the box set over. And I mean, this was like maybe three, four years ago. No, no, way more than that. Jesus, I'm an old man, like maybe eight, (laughs) nine years ago. It was before I even had the house, though, <laughs> that I'm living in now, and I've been in that house, this house, for almost ten years now. So, <laughs> but anyway, it's been, <laughs> it's been ages. It's been a really, really long time. But he brought those over. Uh, the box set that he ended up buying me as a as a gift because I loved him so much, and it was one of those things where, it was just everything clicked when you watch the movies. You see everything that people have been borrowing from it, and. I do know that a lot of the Three Stooges humor that we're about to talk about the Three Stooges here, but I know a lot of the Three Stooges humor is something that has clicked with Matt because we've done jokes from the Three Stooges, so I know that that fits. And uh, I don't know too many ladies out there that are actually into the Three Stooges. Most most of the ladies that I've interacted with don't see the humor in that and they don't find it funny. But I'll tell you what, I am a lucky man. I have at least one woman that I know of in my life that is a Three Stooges fanatic, and that's my wife. She actually bought me the box sets that I have of some of the Three Stooges shorts uh, for birthday and Christmas present. I don't have them all yet, but I have, like, I think the first three of them. I, there's, like, three or four more. <laughs> Man, yeah, because, what, they'd, they'd make, like, ten, or not really, but, like, ten shows a day for a hundred years. That's pretty much how, how long they worked. I think that, uh, from what I've read online, they did... I think it's 1934 to like almost 1960 or 60, like their 60s, somewhere around that time frame. But they had made short films for that entire time. And we're talking like, I want to say it's like around 200, maybe more, maybe less. 200 seems right. Like about 200 short films that these guys have done for that studio in that time frame. And that's just insane. Now, a lot of them, they would uh, shoot new scenes with Shemp and then they would put um, the same movie out, but they would cut out the curly scenes and put Shemp back in, and they would do them that way. And I, I also want to just right now, I want to stop all the hate on Shemp. I don't know if people are aware of this or not, but Shemp actually was the original one to do the routines with the Stooges before they got famous. Curly Shemp and Mo are actually all brothers. I would think that looking at their faces, I didn't know there was a lot of Shemp hate. I mean, I mean, I knew that. It was a phrase sort of used by, you know, Sam Raimi and those guys. But it, I didn't think there, they definitely didn't have any negative connotation in it. Oh, yeah. Well, when they're using the, when Sam Raimi and those guys use the term camp, it's a, 
there's a particular scene where somebody had to fill in for Shemp whenever the shooting is happening. And it's obviously like a, a mismatched body type. It's like the chiropractor for Med Wood <laughs> replacing <laughs> replacing <laughs> Bella Lugosi, you know, or like from Plan 9, when you actually see it, you can tell the difference because the guy's like a good foot and a half dollar, you know. <laughs> I just covered my face. Yeah, in a completely different frame. But like it was a fake Shemp and it was an obviously fake Shemp that it wasn't really Shemp that was there. And so that became like a term that they used as friends that they would put back and forth where if they had a stand in that they had to use or they needed somebody to fill in for a scene, like if they were shooting a hand and the actor that they needed the hand for wasn't there, they referred to them as fake shemps. And that's kind of been the thing that went throughout their whole career. And I think they even credited people as fake shemps in mm-hmm. the first evil dead. And that's where that, that term comes from. But no, I've seen somewhere. I mean, I just, I've seen people when they post online, like the three stooges marathon that happened recently with the year rolling over, um, you know, for the New Year's marathon that was happening, someone was like, "How dare they play a bunch of Shemp shorts?" Well, Shemp was there first, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that no one, when they started filming it, he kind of couldn't handle the day-to-day rigmarole where he had to get punched in the nose or poked on the brow to look like he was getting poked in the eyes, or you know, the physical comedy with the the violence that they had to do. I mean, it was pulled punches and things like that, but they still smacked each other, you know, and and Shemp just couldn't handle it, whereas. Curly loved it. He lived for that kind of stuff. And when they brought him in, he flourished with it. And I'm not trying to talk down about Curly. Let's face it. Curly Howard is a comedical genius. He invented the running around in a circle laying on your side on the floor. It's the funniest fucking thing you will ever <laughs> see somebody do. And nobody I mean, can do it as well as him. But And I think a lot of people focus in for the Three Stooges more on their physical comedy. And they really don't look at the wordplay that they do as well i mean it, it you you see a lot of physical comedy in the marx brothers routine but a lot of people like credit them for their wordplay and their you know the surrealist type of comedy they kind of ignore that with the three stooges and they only focus in on the physical comedy because that's what they're more known for and people would see but i mean like if you look at when we watch both of these if i watch them kind of pretty much back to back one right after the other i watched as we're doing the order we're talking about them and that's how i watched i finished duck soup and then i went right into yanatsky spy and same yeah and by doing that i was like holy crap the three stooges are doing some of the same type of wordplay you know but a little more let's say low brow <laughs> they're they're plucking the low hanging fruit for some of their jokes and i think the reason that a lot of you know Maybe the ladies don't like some of the Three Stooges stuff. And if you're a lady who is a fan of the Three Stooges, you let me know because you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Go to the Cinema PsyOps page or do it in the Psycho Semanticast page. But yeah, speak up and be counted because uh, seriously, it's a rare thing. I, I have not met too many ladies that actually have liked the Three Stooges. Um, I've barely ever met any guy that went, oh, the Three Stooges, I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's meant for our, for our brains, I guess. I don't know. But they're always plucking the low-hanging fruit. And I don't know if you noticed it a lot in this particular short that we watched, but there's a lot of very crude innuendo. Not the, the smarter stuff that what, you know, like marriage jokes or various things like that where he would reference about how I love you or whatever, you know, if only for five minutes or something that, like, Groucho would do. But the... <laughs> The stuff that the Three Stooges do is like pretty fucking body. Like it's really down and dirty stuff yeah. for the time. Especially because I mean, this was 1940, right? You said. 
Yeah, it was about the time frame that it came out was about 1940. I mean, they probably shot it like two days before it was released. Who knows? Because <laughs> these guys were these guys were workhorses, man. They put out shorts like nothing. It was released this month, January 19th, 1940. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> that, that's probably going to be around the time that this episode's coming out. I think maybe a- so. Like. Yeah. So like almost 78 years later, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, sure. 78, 78 years later. That's a new thing we've been doing on our show when we try and figure something out and we get the math wrong. We just go, I was told there would be no math. I haven't <laughs> used it much, but I've got a corrections department now. <laughs> <laughs> Where you'll have someone that goes through and make sure that you're fact-checked or whatever. Yeah, or things that I notice in uh, in editing. <laughs> and then I'll go in at the beginning be like, we were thinking of Xerxes, not Caligula. I like it when people notice that I got something wrong and give us feedback about it and it creates a dialogue between us and the listeners. So I, I tend to like if we got something blaringly wrong and I know that it's wrong, I'll sometimes still leave it in and be like, yeah, I got gotcha, you, you know, because it might spark a conversation. And they might start talking about why they knew it was wrong or give us some more information or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love how Matt can't say some words. <laughs> I think that was one of the first corrections department things I've no- I noticed over with you guys, uh, or not corrections department, but what we're talking about the footage. Yeah. <laughs> What's really funny is he told the story on the air too, so it's no surprise. But at one point in time, he used that word in front of his wife, and his wife went, "I don't think you're saying that right. <laughs> what are you trying to say?" <laughs> and then he's like, "Yeah, I know. It's a thing on the show. People give me shit about it." <laughs> It's a, it's a fo- it's footage when you take a photograph. <laughs> a photograph. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, love you, Matt. But, I know you're not listening, but you can come on the show here and <laughs> that would require him to do some extra work. Although he would flourish, man. He loves talking politics and all of that kind of stuff. It's one of those things to try and keep him away from that in the show that I have to do. That's what made me think I was listening to the last show. And that's what made me think that I needed to just tell him, come on over or we'll do a, a group activity for both of us. <laughs> we'll have a play date for all of us to get together. Yeah. <laughs> the psyops well, semantic cast. Or yeah. Something. You're due. You're due for a crossover with us. That's, that's a certain, that that's a definite thing that has to happen. Uh, three stooges, man. <laughs> <laughs> Moronica. I think that's where you were before I derailed your train of thought. What a wonderful fucking name for a country, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it even says Moronica for morons in some of the posters and everything. That map. I'm trying to remember some of the... The see see you later and the... Spelled S-E-A, see you later. I I know one of them was like double cross you and they have to go. There's something about they have to get across double cross you to get to whatever country they're trying to take over. Yeah. And they're divvying stuff up. Oh, shit. What? uh, Mickey Finnegan or Mickey Finland. Yeah. If if you're going to Mickey Finland, it better be Russian. Stop stalling. Yeah. Something like that. This is what I was kind of getting at. I think a lot of people for this, this particular short that you not buy. I think the brilliance in the wordplay in this particular one and how it's not as based and I mean, there's, they still get in some base lowbrow kind of humor, but there is some very Marx Brothers esque wordplay that the Three Stooges guys are doing here. And I don't think a lot of people really appreciated that in short. I, I don't think they 
liked the the satire and I just remember this always being the one that a lot of people kind of wanted to ignore and you never really see this one on TV much it never plays very frequently <laughs> yeah <laughs> out there the only reference I ever really noticed to this and I think at the time I hadn't even seen the episode yet but there was a classic rock channel around here I don't even know if it still exists because I don't listen to radio like that anymore but uh when I like when I was working in a factory uh, shoveling scrap metal um Half the guys listened to QFM 96 and it was all ACDC and stuff like that. And uh, at three o'clock, we will now pause for station identification. This is NUTS. When you hear the conk on the dome, it will be three o'clock, Bologna watch time. Three o'clock, Bologna watch time. Three o'clock, Bologna watch time. It must be three o'clock. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> they did that every day at three o'clock and that's how i knew it was almost time to go home because it was like a seven to three or seven to four shift right and i was <laughs> like what is that that's the stooges but i don't know if i've ever heard them them say it yeah that's one of the better routines is when he's doing the speech <laughs> it's it's brilliant Okay, we we talked about the names a little bit on the the Marx Brothers side, but let's let's get into the names of the people. I had to write these down because I was laughing my ass off. Okay, they're are they they're munitions manufacturers. They're 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 bad. They're mad that their uh, that their stock is not going up and their money's not being made and they're they're not selling bombs anymore. So they decided that they're going to usurp the power of the current king, who is. Was it Herman the sixth and seven eighths? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, Amscray, Ixne, and um, is it Anya? Anya's the other one. <laughs> so yeah. the three names are all Pig Latin. <laughs> That's great. So this this guy's a king, the Herman the sixth and seven eighth, and they're gonna overthrow him and usurp his power so that they can have somebody put into place that will go to war. Because they need to get rid of the peace. They need to actually build more bombs and munitions. So they decide to prop up a dictator uh, to get rid of the king. And they do that with a beer rebellion. <laughs> it's great. He gets everybody drunk. <laughs> he buys everybody a beer and then gets them all on their side to go overthrow the crowd. Like the, as a crowd to go overthrow the king. And then Mo Hailstone, Curly Gallstone, and Larry Pebble? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, it is hailstone because that's Bo's character, and they they say hail hailstone. Yeah. <laughs> and gallstone and the is other... goring, right? Yeah, and then Pebble is the the would be I guess Goebbels, right? Because <laughs> he's the propaganda. He'd have that's to how be. It, yeah. The only thing that kind of made me kind of wince a little bit was when Mo was trying to figure out if he wanted to be a dictator. And he had that piece of black electrical tape that stuck to his hand. And then he touched his, <laughs> he touched his mouth and he put the, the mustache on and it was like the fake Hitler stash. And then he had his crazy bowl cut, but he just started pushing one side of it back. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, just by brushing the one side back and making it go straight and then having the other side be forward like it was, I didn't like seeing Mo look so much like Hitler. It was just so perfect. The way he so quickly transformed into that... And to where they were like, look, you dumb idiot, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it really creeped me out because like, you know, Larry, Moe and Curly are like childhood heroes of mine. I love the Three Stooges. So seeing him in this role as like a the, the leader dictator, I did not like at all. <laughs> yeah, it was a little jarring. It's sort of like, uh, it's been so long since I've seen it, but um, 
another movie that's going to be eventually covered on here. And I think my dad requested to be the guest, uh, the great dictator, the Charlie Chaplin. Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful film. The one speech that he gives, it is clearly just Chaplin (laughs) (laughs) doing his own Frank cross moment. I mean, that'll put you to tears if you're a human being and you have any emotion at all. Like that's such a beautiful film. And the little delicate ballet that he does where he's dancing with the world, too. Mm-hmm. Some really incredible stuff in the movie. We're not here to talk about that dictator. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not talking about a great dictator. We're talking about Hailstone, who's a terrible <laughs> dictator. <laughs> I think the the beach thing is the, is the part that everybody remembers the most, where they're, it looks like they're being shot from like the balcony of somebody's like house. But they hang some curtains on it, but they put the camera really low to the ground to make it look like they're really high up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love how uh, Pebble fucks up all the time when he puts up the hiss sign when he should be putting up cheers or applause. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hiss and cheers and applause and hiss. Those were the three. Right? Yeah, because he drops the applause sign and then he grabs cheers, but he puts hiss up by mistake. And they're hissing at the wrong thing. And then you still have their usual routines where they're doing the thing hitting each other and you know you see this yeah and then punching each other and stuff like that i mean that's still there but some of the visual gags in this are just i don't think this i I can't remember the stooges ever doing it quite this good again or doing it quite like this this feels like a real well obviously they're all three jewish men so it's a very personal film for them and they're they're dealing with it the only way they know how is through biting satire and comedy uh, the the Marx Brothers were also Jewish comedians. Well, and I don't think that the the Stooges ever really brought that out or said anything about it. It just happened to be that this was kind of their motivating factor. And this was a very bold step for them. This is completely out of left field for anything that they've ever done. Uh, and it was kind of, it's the first. I mean, I don't think there was ever really a Hollywood spoof film or anything that was poking fun at Hitler before this. I think it actually even came out before The Great Dictator that we did mention. And that was Kaplan kind of taking his own jibes at it as well. Trying to think of who were some of the first people, first famous people that really came out against this, the the Trump administration. Not saying that he's gotten to the point of being a fascist yet. Oh, no, he's he's playing at it. I I think a perfect. (laughs) A perfect uh, amalgamation, not amalgamation, but a perfect uh, analog of that. Let's just use that. I know that'll work. <laughs> a perfect <laughs> analog of that would be how Kylo Ren represents like the alt-right and the neo-Nazis of today, where there are these whiny little bitch losers who are supposedly really powerful but can't really do anything right and are constantly just sitting around in their room brooding, fetishizing icons of the past that represent the thing that they worship. So in that case, it would it would be Vader. And with the alt-right and the neo-Nazis, it's the Nazi propaganda shit they can get their hands on or flags and memorabilia and all that. You know, the, that kind of draw at that is basically what the fucking Cheeto represents to me, is this person who idolizes and looks up to dictators and even even modern, like, contemporary dictators that he says are doing a good job or that he really thinks are doing the right kind of thing or how many of them has he hinted at that he liked you know that he thinks that they've got their shit together president of the philippines good job killing all those drug dealers that right and uh was buddy putin i'm still convinced maybe my one listener from russia but (laughs) what's up dude (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks for the vodka and fuck you for the election. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I'm kind of getting at here is it's it's someone who is playing at and trying to do he's emulating and trying to play at being this thing that is already a loser that already failed and and already didn't do what it's supposed to do but all the horrible things that they were able to achieve before they lost is something that you know the fucking current administration is idolizing like the president in the philippines may be murdering a lot of people with the the drug raids and stuff like that but is failing miserably at a lot of other things like actually taking care of his people because he doesn't care. The guy is not going to really be last too much longer. They never do. Eventually, people will revolt and overthrow. And then some other buddy that's going to be a dictator will probably get put into place. But I think what I'm getting at here and what I'm trying to say is that Trump is playing at being something that he can never be because he always thinks that he is better at what he does than what he actually is. And I still want to see this John Wolf book come to fruition. And I, I almost want to get an audible trial just so I can get a free copy of it so I don't have to pay for it, just in case <laughs> it is some kind of weird propaganda dribble. I really want to see, I mean, the more he protests about it and the more pissed he is about it existing, the more I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, there was the cease and desist letter. Um, I think this is the first time a president has ever tried to use his office to stop the publication of a book, at least a president in America. There is a bunch of unprecedented and unprecedented things that this particular unpresidential president has done. We're in a historical time that will be marked for the rest of history. We are living through parts of the United States' history that will never be really forgotten for what has happened. Because this is the first time any of these things have happened. It's just too bad that it's for horrible things. You know, how how amazing would it have been if this fucking idiot would have been put into office and proved us all wrong and did all of these amazing things and just became like the thing that he said he was going to do and he tricked his followers into believing he was going to do and all of a sudden the nation actually did become great again because he said he was going to do it and then he actually achieved it. Like, how much fucking crow would we all have to be eating and how much would that have placated his ego if he would have done it the right way? <laughs> you know, like he, he could have made other choices and done things that actually were good but he just went right to doing what he does is laundering money and stealing money and pilfering the coffers of everyone else and grabbing it all for himself <laughs> i mean i happily would have emailed him a thank you letter on my high-speed bullet train on my way to the much better than obamacare covered healthcare uh plan while <laughs> you know uh emailed, emailed him on free public internet and wi-fi fiber optic networks that were brought about everywhere right <laughs> yeah yeah i happily i mean i still I, I write well i haven't written any thank you letters to any politicians i, I rob portman is my asshole senator and he <laughs> doesn't even send me the form letters thank you for contacting my office i give a shit about what you say he hasn't even sent any of those but i've got one dude sherrod brown who pretty much cancels out all of portman's votes but i send him thank you letters every once in a while and he sends me the <laughs> the form letter thank you for contacting me and then the other longer form letter that you get when you contact your representative your representative in government uh, i don't even get those and i've i've used that fax bot that uh vice posted up <laughs> quite, oh, yeah. a, quite a bit i've <laughs> what i what i do is i just find a, like I'll, I'll find a because if i start 
using my own words, I'm going to get very verbose. I'm going to get very angry and I'm going to say some things that I'm going to regret and might end up on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll use like a new civil rights movement um, suggest, not like other like suggested script, but I'll grab some of their talking points and some things of what they're trying to say to bring something about because the way that they phrase it is much more polite than fuck you, you fucking fuck. I hope somebody shits down your throat when you die, you know, or something, you know, just angry me would, would yeah. probably type out because I've seen me do it. I've, <laughs> I've never rooted for natural causes so much in my entire life. <laughs> right. Something along those lines that will put you on a watch list. Like I, I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried to kind of contact about things and it's real easy to do. I just have it on my notepad on my phone. I copy it, paste it in place, and then I send it away. And I've been faxing like forever. And I've been kind of waiting for some kind of response. Dear sir, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> like Andy Dufresne and uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. yeah please, please just leave us alone. It's one of those things where it's like every time a, every time a podcast finishes while I'm at work, um, when I have to go select another one, first thing I do is I use the bot. And, you know, it's like... It, You've already sent one. You, you want to send another one? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It'll send like three or four a day <laughs> trying to jam up their fax machines if I can. You know, that kind of thing. Poor, or, uh, Sherrod Brown's the only one that writes me back. I get nothing from T-Berry, my house representative, or uh, Rob Portman. I'll, I'll randomly just reply to his tweets and just say, fuck you, Bob. Um, <laughs> I've seen that. But... Back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Back to Moronica. Only we could talk about a fucking short that's 17 minutes or maybe 18 and talk about it for like 45 minutes without actually talking about it. <laughs> right. But we must give the people of Dazzle Lake and Double Cross Ya and <laughs> Bologna and Aspirin and Hangover. <laughs> What was there was a there was an island that was um oh there was uh, the sea of horse or something like that I think was yeah. one of them too sea sea of biscuit sea of biscuit yeah okay because biscuit <laughs> was a horse that was famous at the time bay of window pain of window yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh just little brilliant gags and they hold on that map for a while that yeah. was really funny the screwball keys. The Bay of Rum. <laughs> they even have a Maddie, uh, a Matta Hera little reference with Maddie Herring. Yes, uh, that was that's from World War One, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a little spoof on Matta Harry, Yeah, but yeah, which is, I, mm-hmm. I was going to say, which is funny because she's supposed to be the original king's daughter, who's working on his behalf to get at them, and the whole routine where she's reading their, uh, <laughs> reading the magic ball. And it turns out to be a magic eight ball. That made me laugh because that actually became a thing where you would shake <laughs> up the magic eight ball and get your your fortune. This might be my favorite of theirs. No surprise to anyone that knows me. Um, <laughs> I never, I mean, I know more Marx Brothers stuff than Three Stooges stuff, but I've never been like, oh, fuck the Stooges, blah, blah. But I just, you know, I haven't seen all of their stuff. So this might be. We're talking nearly 200 short films, man. You're going to, it's going to take you a while. Yeah. I mean, there, there have been a few marathons here and there. And this 1940, this is when America was still neutral. I think it's probably the frustration of America not doing anything that may have led. I mean, let's not mince words. Mo was the Stooges. Mo was the business guy. He made the tough choices. He did some some of the things that needed to be done that probably wasn't a good thing. Um, you know, there's some biopics and stuff like that or some books out there that you can kind of read to get more of the stuff. But Mo was the guy that had to do the 
the things that needed to be done. And I'm pretty sure that it was most frustration that caused this. And he pushed this forward to make it happen. It just, it feels like a very personal thing for him. And that's probably why he played the Hitler analog. That is hailstone. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. That's what led Charlie Chaplin to do the great dictator was, you know, noticing that something was amiss, something was afoot, something horrible's coming. And he put that out as kind of his protest film too. And I mean, it's so weird to say protest film in reference to the three stooges. But <laughs> that's where we are, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, political truth comes out of comedy so much more than people uh, realize. And I think I was sort of along those lines. Uh, I don't necessarily like everything he says and the way he thinks about some movies, but I, Roger Ebert said, sometimes a movie is most political when you think it isn't. That's not necessarily the case in this. This is blatantly political, but I think there's a lot more message than you would think. And I think you were trying to look for a parallel to modern times with what comedy would be taking on and doing parody of the ludicrous situation that you're finding yourself in in modern times with Trump here in America. And I, I would have to say it's probably Saturday Night Live without yeah. Baldwin and what they're doing there. I mean... It's something that we need. It's a moment of levity. But at the same time, they're holding him over the fire for everything he does. I mean, they're really pointing things out and really going after him. It's not just biting satire. It's protest comedy, essentially. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, they even extended. They never used to put out new shit during their breaks. And now they're putting out uh, weekend updates. Uh, when they're on break just to do that yeah just to yeah. have that more <laughs> you have to fight you know fire with fire which doesn't really work but uh I'm trying to think you have to fight this much ludicrous hostility with that much ludicrous levity well and i think it was lewis black that said this where the thing that makes it to where two stepping nazis and people like that that can exist is and also with religious religious terrorism and things along those lines is you need to have some people that go, huh, that's fucked, and laugh about it. Like, this is ridiculous. Why would you ever do that? And know that something is ridiculous and stupid and laugh at it. And when you don't have people that have that bit of brevity to relieve that, you end up with people like Nazis. You end up with people like a bin Laden terrorist type person. You, you just end up with people that take themselves seriously and end up blowing up buildings and murdering people. And that's what the students are fighting against. So why not do the exact opposite of that? You know, I mean, you you can't take a bottle of seltzer to war and expect to survive, but God damn it, you'll make somebody laugh. And, you know, hopefully all dictators will feed themselves to their own lions. <laughs> exactly how this one ends. And that's the that's the beauty of using comedy to kind of go up against a dictator, because a dictator is all about image. It's something that we talked about bringing it back to even the first episode where we talked about Turk 182. A politician can only control so much if they actually have the public on their side with the image and what the public thinks they're supposed to be with what they project. That's why propaganda with Goebbels and fucking Pebble in this <laughs> short. It was Hannity, so important. Or, sorry. Yeah, or Hannity nowadays. Like it's it's so important to have someone like that that is constantly stoking the fire of trying to keep people believing the smoke signals that are coming out you know like this is what's happening this is actually what's happening this is actually what's happening because when you have people actually examining and sitting back and looking at things with a critical eye and which comedy is really good at doing at pointing out how ludicrous one thing is 
and kind of opening your mind and making you think about it a little bit more. That's one of the most powerful tools that you can have is to make something that is supposed to be so deadly and so serious, taken so seriously like a dictator, look like a fool. You take away a lot of their power because you've just made people laugh at them. And now this great, horrible thing that you're supposed to be terrified of is now just a pathetic little weakling who has to spray tan himself because he's afraid that people will realize how old he is, hides the fact that he has to wear a diaper constantly, and is just this frail old man who is very clearly losing his mind in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a degenerative brain disease like an Alzheimer's or senility or just plain going mad with power. He is this ridiculous, ludicrous thing, and more and more people wake up to that the less and less he has the ability to control them. And that's the beauty of fucking comedy right there, that you can do that. I think possibly Dan Aykroyd tried to warn us with nothing but trouble about a unchecked power of a <laughs> rageful old man and his family. <laughs> well, I, I think that's more or less the story of uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania, more than anything. <laughs> a, <laughs> oh, right. a town on fire due to coal. <laughs> Vulcanvania. Yeah, <laughs> the Vulcanvanian Triangle. <laughs> I don't I don't know if uh, that was really a political move that he was trying to show people that about unchecked power. I think that more or less was just an unappreciated comedy of the 90s. <laughs> and I do like that film, so I'm not opposed to you mentioning it. <laughs> Saying it out loud makes it more likely I'll do some Photoshopping later. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you could so well fit the, uh, the Trumpy on top of that judge. You got to leave the penis-shaped nose, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> just got you got like you got to leave the sunglasses on elton john Talk. yeah it's a it's the accoutrements that count he's the one that said rocket man not me yeah he called for it he asked for it fuck fuck him <laughs> been screaming it for a year well we've been screaming it longer than a year but we've been another reason why i'm glad you came back not just because you know, i love talking to you and our con our episodes are always good but also i mean you've been you've been openly critical and i think we need more voices like yours and everything that i've been happy to hear and it it's good that we remember when it feels i i don't want to steal any of your frank cross moment here near the end but it's I, easy. I think you're getting your own frank cross moment so continue i'm just gonna let you go <laughs> it's it's really really easy to feel like you're alone in this sort of situation. And I know it's not so dire for us white men in America right now, but we also care about all the other people that are already, you know, first they came for the blank and there was no one left to notice when they came for us. The empathy that I see, I see a lot of people reaching out, trying to find understanding. A lot of people using technology to organize. A lot of people are running for office that never would have before or never would have considered doing that. And I, I, I think if that it's already been proven that Trump himself will not make America great again in the way that he says he will. If he does, it's because of the every action W newton's law every, every action will have an equal and opposite reaction yes i i don't I, know if it's newton's law but i know it's a, a rule of that, that law yeah that rule of the of the universe that is that is going to be how we get out of this crater you forget how small a crater can be until you're looking at it from the outside i just want to thank you for for all that you do fighting to dig out of this hole and uh everybody that listens and everybody that has conversations in the uh you know in the facebook group and it's been a year and i th i think that 
you all helped me stay as sane as I am. <laughs> Wasn't and, a short trip to insanity for you anyway. Right. Uh, but I, I'm not really sure what I'm really trying to get out of here besides, you know, it's, it's just awesome. I've always been that annoying political guy, but I feel like I've got a lot more people facing the same way as I do lately. Well, a lot of people got complacent. A lot of people got complacent. We got comfortable because... The idea was, well, we have a black president, we have Obama, and it seems like the country's heading in the right direction. It's okay for me as the giant or whatever I'm supposed to represent, you know, the the average American that would just be willing to go on and earn the wage, you know, fix up his house, try and better his station and do what he's supposed to do. I was complacent with that. I sat back and I just let things happen. I didn't pay attention to politics. I didn't do any of that. And I'm not political. I even said it on your first episode that I'm all about don't step on my blue suede shoes, like stay away from my personal freedoms. And when the Trump administration came into place, the, the rhetoric that the man was saying and the people that he was surrounding himself with, I felt like Charlie Day when I was saying it at the start of it, but I'm like, this stuff is going to happen. I was pointing out all of these different things that they were going to try and do that they were working on doing it. They were going to go after civil rights. They were going to go after all of these things that they've ended up doing in some way, shape or form. And when I saw that on the horizon, I felt like I was going crazy. I felt like it wasn't you weren't going to see the end of this and it was just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I started really kind of panicking myself. And the sort of Frank Cross moment that I have on that show is me kind of coming to terms with it and trying to talk about like, we can take care of each other if we try. And I feel like a lot of us in not only this nation, but hopefully around the world are seeing that. I mean, we're losing <laughs> this planet. It's going away on us. Everybody else in the world but this nation seem to realize that. The evidence is there. And I don't know about you people, but the earth is where I keep my stuff. I kind of want to take care of it. <laughs> right <laughs> like i'm not a hippie i'm not a like let's you know let's let's save the world let's save the environment that's not my thing but like you're you're fucking up where i live dude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like like once you realize that that's how it works like you you have to you have to do something we're all gonna die if we don't have a planet to live on we gotta have some place to live <laughs> we all breathe the same air right Stop fucking polluting it, because you got to breathe it too, you jackass. You got kids. <laughs> All you Paul Ryans of the world with 20,000 children. We we <laughs> we need water to drink. Stop fucking poisoning it with your coal slush. You know, don't take away that regulation. There's a reason that got put into place. Like how it's not that hard. It's not rocket science. It's, you know, capitalism over people's lives is never a good choice, and that's the direction that it seems to be headed but people are realizing it fighting against it and the giant kind of woke up and the giant is all of us man it's it's the people that like me that just never fucking paid attention and never cared and finally just realized how easy it is just to look and say something if you're not standing up and saying fuck that at the very least you're not doing anything you're just fucking sitting there and letting it happen like at least protest at least Raise your voice and do something. You know, it's it's not that hard. I mean, fuck, I am probably the laziest guy on the face of this earth, and I can do it. 
<laughs> you know, and like I've never done it before. Like even my own mother was like, Jesus, how political did you get? When when did you get like this? I'm like, when shit got fucked up. <laughs> you can trace the line back to when I got political. It's exactly when shit got fucked up. That's the way you know America has been. I think um, the last time that there was uh, Republicans in, or conservatives or whatever they want to call themselves in charge of the entire government, and then they crashed the economy. Eventually, after... <laughs> the Great Depression, and all that horribleness, we got the Civil Rights Act. We got union and labor laws. We got more equality for women. And it's and all these other things, and it's because people were fed up. I don't know if America's ever going to have a guillotine sort of moment, but... This they, is probably the closest we will ever get. <laughs> yeah. You know, there there's going to be hopefully, you know, equal and opposites again. Hopefully there's going to be more opposite of Trump people getting into government. People with well, and and brains. just the fucking just the fucking current GOP as it is cuz they can't all be like that. I mean, some of the ones that are retiring and just calling it quits, some of the ones that are just going away they have to know that what they're currently doing, they can't live with. And they're just are stepping away from it. Like the resignations that are happening and things, you see the shame on some of their faces. I mean, maybe I'm just coding it because that's what I want it to be. Like, I want to think that maybe there's someone underneath that fucking suit. That's actually a living, breathing human being, not just a money grubbing bastard. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like I, that's every time I hear of a resignation from the Republican party where they're retiring after this year, Particularly the younger ones where it's like, oh, so you're quitting. Maybe you can't live with everything that you've done. Or maybe they're looking to run because they're part of the investigation and they know it. And I'm really glad that Orrin Hatch is removing himself from being third in line in the presidential line of secession. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's something that we can celebrate. And it's funny that you bring up, you know, how the last time the Republicans were in office, that that's what caused the Great Depression, because that's the time frame that we're talking about with these movies. Too. I mean, we've tied it together so much better without even trying just by picking, hey, let's just talk about some fun stuff to talk about that <laughs> kind of fit. You know, like we actually have a complete package here, man. <laughs> somehow, somehow we did it. It's synchronicity. It's the way that these kind of things work. I mean, because we're cyclical human, like human beings are a cyclical beast, we end up in the same patterns over and over again. It fits perfectly because what we were going through in 1933 and 1940 you know, around the time with the rise of Hitler and with the crash of the economy and the Great Depression is exactly what we're going through now. So one day we'll get it right, maybe. <laughs> or we'll get it very wrong and it won't be an issue anymore. <laughs> or we'll all be dead because we fucked over the planet and we got no place to live. <laughs> we're not, none of us are growing gills. We're going to go back to the moon to blow it up or whatever Trump wants to do at the moon. Put the, the, Trump, the Trump flag on it. Or... sell real estate there he wants to settle it <laughs> he likes every part of the moon except for the dark side why don't you uh, uh plug plug your show and then we will say goodbye i'll take another quick break and then i will get back with the uh the feedback and the responses well it's pretty easy to find us it's on the same wonderful podcast network that derek <laughs> darren's show is on legionpodcast.com we are forward slash cinema dash psyops you can find us right there. We're in Stitcher. We're in iTunes. All the wonderful places that podcasts can be acquired. 
just point your podcatcher to legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops and you'll find us there. So yeah, dude, uh, thanks again for being there at the beginning of this last year and being here at the beginning of this one. And uh, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk politics and wax on philosophical about things like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, thanks. Thanks, everybody else. Thanks for still being here. Uh, don't forget to don't forget to duck and cover. Don't let them take you to a second location. Think about your protest vote. <laughs> I'm hoping we got a we got the anniversary show you were hoping for at least. Hey man, I just wanted to have a good conversation, and that was beyond <laughs> that. Fuck yeah! yeah I, I always tease you. If you're only any more laid back, you'd be dead. Voicemails. This first one comes as an email from Joe Petruziello. It says, Darren, a whole damn year and you haven't blown your brains out. <laughs> All kidding aside, congrats, man. You and the show have been so therapeutic to those of us trying to get through this administration with our sanity intact. In a world of dry film criticism, you are truly doing something unique and you and your guests are to be commended. Standout has to be the Body Snatcher episode. 
I've listened at least five times. Hell yeah, man. Thanks a lot. That was a really fun one. Keep up the great work, my friend, and happy new year to you and yours. Well, happy new year to you and yours, man. Thanks a lot. And thanks for, thanks for taking the time to, to write in. And I will continue to try to help us through this group therapy. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, you writing in and you take you not cooperating, participating in the group. Uh, it's, it's really cool. And uh, thanks. And this next one is a audio clip sent from Ken in Rhode Island. Thanks for calling down to the bomb shelter. Hey, Darren's Ken checking in from Rhode Island. Just wanted to wish you a happy one year of podcasting. Um, I dig the show. Keep up the good work. Um, I'd love it if you could do a punk rock themed show uh, certain sometime in the near future. I don't know what movie you'd cover. I mean, it's Suburbia and Sid and Nancy come to mind, but... um. I'd love to hear uh, more of you, you know, some of your touring stories, uh, especially the one you told I, you told on Facebook about uh, my home state of Rhode Island, the crazy shit you saw there. Uh, just a suggestion. Uh, like I said, dig the show. Keep up the good work, man. Resist. Remove. Fuck Trump. Bye, buddy. Fuck Trump. Um, thanks. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Um <laughs> a lot of people will probably tell you it's not too hard to get me to old manning it and tell my my tour stories but i'm it's definitely cool to hear that people don't not want to hear them um there's definitely some more punk rock stuff we can do rock and roll high school has been on my list since i started the show and i mean maybe there's slc punk there's definitely gotta be gotta do suburbia and those that's just off the top of my head. I'm definitely going to be thinking on that. And um, maybe you can help me. So uh, thanks. And uh, thanks for checking in. And uh... Hello, Darren. It's Vanessa from the VD Clinic podcast. I wanted to send you a message for your one year anniversary. Um now you mentioned you always mention you have a hate mail address so and you keep saying that no one has ever sent you any hate mail so i thought i would um now let me explain there since you started the show a year ago there's been a lot going on in the world politically socio-politically that i hate and I'm going to share a short list of those hates with you. Um, so I have to say, I hate, and, and none of this will be a surprise to anyone who has listened to me. Um, so, but, so I hate Trump and his camp, his cabinet. I, I can't even put the word president in front of that last name. I can't say them together. The level of anxiety and depression that, it, that, person and his administration has caused me. I can't tell you. It's ridiculous. Anyway, my psychiatrist, I keep him, you know, going, basically. Um, I hate that journalism and has been under attack and that fake news is actually a thing. Uh, I, yeah, I hate this new war on drugs. Um, it, it's incredibly ridiculous on so many levels and you know, we all know how i feel about the prison industrial complex that's partly there um and the profit and 
speaking as someone who grew up in Alabama, Jeff Sessions, fucking can go suck it. Um, I hate neo-Nazis, well, just Nazis of any sort, and the rise of white supremacy. I can't believe in this day and age we are that this is what's going on. And I hate the fascism that has come along with these groups and with this administration. Um, they seem to go hand in hand and highly problematic. Um, I hate the level of sexual harassment and assault that we see, well, we've seen this year. Um, I mean, at least it's being talked about, but Jesus Christ, it makes you have little hope for humanity. Uh, I hate that the rich are getting richer while the rest of us stay the same or are getting worse. Um, I hate that voting rights are under attack, and I hate that people still, even when they do have the right to vote, don't vote. Uh, you know, I work the polls, so that's that's one that's very near and dear to my heart. I hate that our health care is, it's, there's, there's little care that goes into it. It's not guaranteed in this day and age, and I hate that that's under attack. And I hate that we still have to protest this shit. Uh, yeah, that's the best way to put it. I hate that you have to talk about all these things, okay? Really, that's what it comes down to. But if there all these things are going on and we're having a conversation, I'm glad that you're one of the people having that conversation. Um, the show has been great outlet for that, uh, for me to listen to people who agree with me or disagree with me on politics, but there's a conversation going and clearly you are leading the charge of that discussion. And I wanted to say congratulations and thank you for that. So while this is a lot of hate and negativity that obviously <laughs> this past year has stirred in me, um, a, a podcast like yours has given me a little ray of hope that um, there are other like-minded people who realize that change needs to happen and that a conversation or conversations need to be had. So thanks and congratulations again. Bye. And I'm glad that you're part of the conversation. Uh, anyway, thanks so much, Vanessa. We will talk soon. And this last one comes from my lovely wife. Hey, it's me. I'm finally doing this. I'm hiding it in our bedroom closet because one of the reasons it took me so long is... No, that's not good. That's not good. That's not a good excuse. But um, I just want to tell you that I'm really excited about your one year anniversary of doing the Psycho Semantic Cast. Um, it's been really cool to watch you build this community and uh, radicalize all these movie podcasters um, for the Antifa revolution. And I'm really excited to see what the um, here, I guess, what the new year brings. And um, I love you. Uh, sincerely your wife, the Vice Abbas. I love you too, baby. So uh, I've got a lot of ideas for what's going to be going on the next year. Polishing that gold. <laughs> but for real, uh, thanks a lot. Without you, I would just be a man screaming at a wall. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Don't forget.
it to duck soup and cover. Officer, great for all the things you said to me, for all the good that you have ever done. Without you, what would I be? All the gas upon my flames, my love and rage, I roll up into one. For every time your gun goes off, a new rebel is born. So when there's 41 bullets, it's 41,000 thorns in your side. We'll take a ride down to Precinct 29, and we'll sing and dance and break the code of silence. Come after your silence. Thanks, bastards! 